Bibles to Matthew 26. I do have a lot of reading to do today, and it's going to be more reading than preaching, but the thing is, I want to talk about what the Passover really is all about, okay? Now, once a month, we do communion, and communion is basically the new version of the Passover. That's how I see it, at least. Um, And so here we see Jesus with his disciples having this Passover meal, which a lot of people believe is also the first communion table. And so again, it's a transitioning. It's a newness. It's a new thing. Uh, And something we still practice today, communion, Passover. But what is it all about? And it's very interesting, the Passover. It's very, very interesting. And that's the reason why I want to spend this day. And hopefully we can get it all done today. If not, I might finish it next week because it's that important, talking about what the Passover is all about. And of course, there's three portion scriptures I want to look at that are key. Our current verses in Matthew 26, also Exodus 12, and 1 Corinthians 11. So if we can go on to the next slide, please. We're going to look at the preparation of the Passover. A big part of the Passover is preparing for it. If, when you look at the scriptures like in Exodus and, and other portions throughout the, the Old Testament, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books, there's a lot of details about preparing, a lot of the ceremonial side of things. In Passover meal, you know, it, has, it was various feasts or festivals that happened during the Passover, like the first day we see here, the, the fe- of the festival of the unleavened bread, which is starts off with the Passover meal, but also in its entirety would be called generally the Passover, but it's a series of of festivals. A lot of preparation went into them, but the the preparation I want to look at that I think is important is is what's happening before us, our very own eyes, as we see Christ getting ready for the cross, okay? In that very important element, the sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb, if you will, the preparation of that is very important. And so that's the part of the preparation I want to look for. So here, Matthew 26, 17, it starts by saying, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, which is one of those festivals that are included in the generic term or general term of Passover, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Eating the Passover. It's the actual eating of that lamb, which is very, very important. Okay, what does a lamb represent? Okay, that's very important. So he replies, go into the city. So this is them entering in Jerusalem. They spent most of their times in Bethany outside, just outside Jerusalem. But now they're going deep into Jerusalem. Go into the city to a certain man and tell him. The teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. So there's a lot of terms that we see repeated here. Preparation, to prepare. And again, the Passover, it needed to be prepared. It was a very specific task. There were very specific tasks that had to happen to make it, you know, right. And also, 
I highlighted or underscored the word Passover, because this is about the Passover, but this is the real Passover, okay? This is the real Passover. This is the Passover of before told stories of deliverance, which we'll see in a moment, but it points to the ultimate deliverance, and that ultimate deliverance is at hand, right here, right now with Christ. The ultimate Passover is right here before us, guys. So Passover, the Paschal sacrifice. We've got the Passover. It's all tied into this Paschal sacrifice, or Paschal sacrifice. It's about a sacrifice, the Passover. It's very important that that is what it's about. It's about the dying, the, the slaying, the killing of a spotless lamb, which was accustomed to be offered for the people's deliverance of Egypt. So traditionally, it's about being delivered, rescued from their oppression, rescued from the, their slavery. They want to be free from these things that tie them down. Okay? What frees the people from being tied down? The Passover. First of all, there's that Passover historically in Egypt. There's also the Passover, what we're seeing now before us with Christ. That breaks the chains, breaks the bonds of our slavery today, the slavery that comes from sin and rebellion. So, we see kind of historical Passover in Egypt, and you see they're remembering the meals as they remember about their deliverance from God, but we also see the, the pointing towards Christ here and now, Matthew 26. So, next slide. Let's look at the deliverance from Egypt. This is what it says in Exodus 12. 1 through 11. I only have portions here because it's a lot of details. A lot of details. So I wanted to just get the, 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 the key points in Exodus 12, 1 through 11. And so if you read it with me, it says this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month. The first month of your year. So this moment is so intense, so radical, that it's going to begin a new calendar. This begins it all. New beginning. A new beginning with this deliverance. And deliverance that God gives to people always marks a new beginning. So here it is with Egypt, with, or in Egypt with Israel, God's people. A new beginning. It's so radical that they're going to actually change their actual calendars. This is the first month of the first year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family. Okay, so take a lamb. You know what they're going to do with this lamb? They're going to eat it. They're going to sacrifice it. It's interesting. One for each household. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with each person will eat. I like this because this is for everyone. Get it and basically prepare it. Again, that we're preparing for everyone. Everyone has an opportunity to access the lamb. Okay? Make sure it's portioned out equally to what each person can consume. So it's available to all who wants it. The animal you choose must be a year-old male without defect. It's important that this lamb is spotless. It's precious. It's not like you're going to get, well, this lamb's going to die in two weeks anyway, so might as well just kill it. Big deal. No, there has to be a proper sacrifice. This lamb is beautiful. This lamb is precious, spotless, without Sin, without mark, without guile, it's a, it's, a, it's a true loss. 
And then they are to take some of his blood. Blood's a very important part of Passover. And we're going to see more about that in a moment. The blood. Take some of the blood and put it on the sides. Sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lamb. So it's interesting. Where the lamb is, where his blood was shed, the, on the very front door, it was advertised, if you will. We are delivered. And look at the, look at the, look at the, I know, I know, you might think it's a little bit cheesy, but look, look at how it, it, the blood was put on the doorposts. I, I, th- I know, I think, I think this is quite intentional of, of God because everything points to the cross, in my opinion. Look at this on the sides and on the top. If you're standing or looking at it, you would almost see kind of a, a shadowing of a cross, the sides and the top, you know? And they didn't put it on the floor, and I'm kind of glad they didn't do that. But if you, still, if you could use your imagination, you can see a cross. Because really, this is about the cross. Yes, the deliverance began in Egypt long, long ago, but it didn't really complete until the cross. That was just a temporary system that wasn't fully complete. It wasn't fully complete until the Son of God himself sacrificed himself as a precious lamb on the cross. So the blood on the door frames. The same night they are to eat the meat. Roasted over the fire. See, that's why I think it's interesting for, as far as sacrifice is concerned. Because most sacrifices you just would burn away. It would be a total loss. But this is a sacrifice that you actually got the benefits from. You could eat the precious yummy meat of it. So it wasn't, it's, it's a sacrifice that gives. It's not a real sacrifice. It's almost like, but wait, I totally benefit from this. But isn't that what Christianity is about? God asks you for your whole life. Oh, but you know, it's too much of a sacrifice. But then he gives you your whole life back in return. Is that interesting? We think, oh, I don't want to give my life to God because then I'll miss out. Rubbish. You don't miss out on nothing. He gives it all right back to you. And he multiplies the blessing. So here is a lot of these foreshadows through this is just absolutely mind-boggling. So it's a sacrifice, but not a real sacrifice because you get to eat the food. You get the benefits from it. And you eat it roasted on a yummy barbecue (laughs) on fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Now, the significance of the bitter herbs and the yeast is this. It's food that's quickly prepared. As you know, if you handle yeast, it takes a while for it to rise. But this is all about urgency. Eat, throw some bitter herbs. It's, it, it, uh, some, some commentaries say it's like a bit of a salad. Put a quick salad together, throw some dough down, chuck in the oven, eat it. So the whole idea is urgency. The time is at hand. The time of deliverance is at hand. Don't wait around, oh, but you know, I gotta wait for the Easter eyes, you know, it might take a couple days, you know, whatever. But no, the time is at hand. Deliverance is now. This is how you're to eat it with your cloak tucked in your belt, your sandals on your feet. So they were supposed to be eating it with their clothes, not their hanging out jammy clothes, but they were supposed to be ready to run clothes. Put your shoes on, put your coke on, eat like that. Because you know what? God's gonna deliver you. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to run? That's the idea. This is the original Passover. Already I'm hoping your imagination is yearning and turning and you're thinking, wow, that's got a lot to do about life today, here and now. As it does. It's how you're to eat with your cloak in your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. Wait a second. I like that word. It's the Lord's Passover? Turn to the next slide. What does that mean? It's the Lord's Passover. You guys know the story of uh, Abraham and Isaac? You know how God told Abraham, go out and sacrifice your son, your only son you've been waiting your whole life for, the promise from God. Go sacrifice him. 
your only son. Sacrifice him to me. And Abraham said, what? Okay. It doesn't make any sense, but yeah, whatever. Right? Well, I'm going to talk about that story because that story shows that God is the true provider. God makes the sacrifice. God has himself become the sacrifice. And here's a story. Again, look at the parallels. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, by the way, this is in Genesis 22, 7 to 14, if you're taking notes. So Genesis 22, 7 to 14 says this. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire, we have the wood, the boy said. But where is the sheep for the burnt offering? What are we sacrificing, Dad? And then what's his response? God will provide. I mean, did he really believe that? I don't know. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know because he, he had a lot of thoughts. We also know that he thought that if he had to kill his son and sacrifice him, that he would be resurrected somehow. So whatever it is, he, he never, ever lost his trust in God and his promise. So he goes, God will provide. And truly, God does provide. He has provided. This is the Lord's Passover. And he has provided. He provided his son. So he says, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God, and you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh Yare or Yare or Yahweh Yiri, which means the Lord will provide. Again, the Lord will provide. Guys, the Lord has provided. That's what we're seeing in Matthew chapter 26, 27, 28, and onwards. The Lord providing. Okay? This is the ultimate Passover, the Passover where the Lord provided the sheep. Okay? To this day, the people still name, or use the name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Next slide, please. So the preparation of the Lord's provided sacrifice, the provided lamb. And we see this in Matthew 26. And look at this. Now, we've already talked a lot about um, Judas, Last week. So I'm not going to talk about the personality and the character of Judas, okay, and his bad attitude. We're not going to talk about that and how he was used as a tool. And we all have opportunities to be used as tools, either positively or negatively. That was last week's sermon. But here we already know that Judas is a big tool. And he's used for negative things instead of positive things, okay? Now, I'm not going to go over that anymore. What I want to look at is the fact that this is all a part of the very specific preparation process. Okay, God used him to prepare the lamb. And here's the preparation of the lamb in Matthew 26, verse 20. When evening came, 
Jesus was reclining at a table of the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. It's a part of the process. He needs to be betrayed. He needs to be handed in to be sacrificed. They were very sad and began to say to one another, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. And Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray. So one of my fellows, one of my friends, uh, it was brought to my attention last week how Judas was actually there with the disciples performing miracles, healing people, you know what I'm saying? Loving on people, caring for people. He did things that the other disciples did. And Jesus was fully aware from the very beginning that he was going to betray him. So he was, has been dipping his hand in the bowl with Jesus for a long time now. But yet, it's a part of the preparation. It's God preparing the Passover lamb, the ultimate Passover lamb. The one who has dipped his hand in this bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go. He will die. He will be delivered just as it was written about him. It's written about him. This is prophesied. This is a part of God's plan. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. It's interesting how the other disciples called him Lord, but he refused to call him Lord. He still called him Rabbi, which means just teacher. Lord is stronger. It's like chief, the boss, the one I'm willing to follow to the end. A rabbi is one who just educates. Yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, authority, whatever, rabbi. You know, but he didn't commit to Jesus. He didn't really commit. So Jesus said to him, you have said so. Again, this is the battle plan, guys, from the very beginning. I can't go any further back, probably, than Genesis. I mean, maybe you could, but Genesis is pretty much, this is is chapter 3. It's the third chapter of the whole entire Bible. In this already, we see the battle plan. And this is it unfolding before our very own eyes, guys, where it says in Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. Of course, this is God talking to Satan as he was being represented in a serpent. And he says, he will crush your head. Jesus is going to crush the head of Satan, and you will strike his heel. So here we see heel striking going on. This is Satan making his attempt to strike at Jesus. But it's all part of the plan. It's a plan that backfires on Satan, but it is the ultimate head-crushing blow to defeat our enemy, Satan, on the cross. Next one. So, as he said... As it was written. Next slide, please. As it was written. That's what he said. Here is, and you're going to see a lot of Isaiah 53 in the next few chapters, guys. It's a long, well, it's not a long chapter, but it's a deep chapter. It's got a lot of very specific details about what we're going to see in the final week of Christ in his life as he gives himself. Okay? So here's, look at this with me in Isaiah 53. This is just verses 1 through 5. It says this, who has believed our message? To to whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? Do you believe it? Again, this is the message given many, many, many years before. And and it requires some believing. It requires a bit of faith. Yeah, I trust these words. Do you believe? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in a dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. This is Jesus. He was just a normal-looking kind of guy, and he grew up in a kind of normal kind of way. But yet, he was despised and rejected. 
there's no reason, there's no legal reason why he was tried and condemned. It was all contrived. He was a good guy. I mean, he was more than good. He was better than anyone could ever be. But yet he was despised. He was rejected. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turn our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our inability. It was our failures. It was our sins that he carried. Again, that's what the Passover is all about. We got ourselves stuck in Egypt. And the Passover is God rescuing us. We are stuck in this sinful state before Christ. And Christ delivers us. It was, it's our weaknesses that Christ carried on the cross. It was our sorrows that, that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. So some say, ah, oh, well, he was rejected by God. He was, God didn't really, yeah, he's, he's a failure, whatever. But no, no, no. It wasn't a punishment from God. It was, it was our trouble. It was our error. It was our mistake that he suffered for. God agreed with Jesus. God loved Jesus. God supported Jesus in everything he did. There was absolutely nothing that Jesus did wrong that deserved punishment. It was us who deserved the punishment. A punishment for, I'm sorry, it goes, uh, we're punished from God, he punished for his own sin. No. But it was not that, it was the fact that he was pierced. And he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sin. So here is a bit of a foreshadowing. This, this is, again, Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus on the cross. Next slide, please. You know what? Um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to save this for next week because we are a little bit out of time. And I think what we'll do is we'll just kind of meditate on, on the stopping point right here. So, um, yeah, go ahead and hit escape on that, and we'll just, we'll, we'll pray right now. It's just, it's just, it's going to take me at least 10, 15 minutes to really do it justice from this point on. But I think we got a good start on, on, on what the Passover is all about. Uh, and again, you know, I think it should be something deeply personal for all of us. I hope, I pray, it's something deeply personal for all of us. Because the reality is, the Passover isn't about some Jewish thing that the, these guys did a long time ago. And it's not about some story that we learned in Sunday school where Moses came and, you know, the plagues and then the crossing the Red Sea. You know, it's more than that. It should be deeply personal to all of us. It should be something that we relate to. It's like, you know what? God delivers his people. How many times does God have to deliver his people until we actually finally get it in our head that he delivers his people? Jesus Christ is the ultimate deliverance. It's it. There is no need for any other deliverance. That's it. It's completed with Jesus Christ. Now we know he's going to return and he's going to deliver the world in its state. It's dodgy state. It happens to be in right now and he's going to clean it up. But however, the deliverance that we require is finished on the cross. The deliverance which, 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 which buys us back, it's, like a, it's described and we'll see it later next week. It's a, a ransom. We're trapped. We're prisoners. And then his blood is like, it's, it, it buys back. It's like the ransom to pay us back from our captured 
state. He loves us. He sent his son to die on the cross for us. And that blood, we're going to look at the blood a lot more next week. And what it does, it delivers us. It cleanses us. Blood, it was used, you know, throughout, the, again, the, the ancient rituals to clean. Okay, it's, it's a, has a cleansing property. And we'll, we see that in Hebrews and other portions. We're going to look at that next week. But the thing is, he, if you feel dirty, if you feel like a screw-up, like, yeah, I don't know, man. It's just, certainly God doesn't love me. I don't feel very rescued. Know this, that our faith and trust in God. That's all we need to do is just put our faith and trust in God, in Jesus Christ on the cross. You may not feel clean, but you are. You are. Because you see, what Christ's blood does, it cleanses from our sins, our screw-ups, our mess-ups, our errors. A lot of times we hold on to our mess-ups a little bit too much. But I think what we need to learn to do is just give it up. Give it up. Say goodbye to those sins. Say goodbye to those errors. Give it up. Okay? There's this thing I've been doing a lot lately where I just kind of like, it's, it's something I learned from a golf technique where you just kind of, where you have a bad shot, you grow a red line over it and you just cross over that on the actual turf and you just move on. But that should be how we are with our spiritual life as well. Do you feel like a fail, moral failure? Well, put a red line through it. And I like how it's red, because what color is blood? It's red. That's the blood of Christ crossing it out. Now move on. Go forward. Don't say, uh, I got to wait until I feel better about my sin. You're never going to feel better about your sin, because I hate to say your sin sucks, okay? But what you can do is you can get over it. You can give it to the cross. You can give it to God and move forward and look at positive things. Look at Beautiful things. Look at wonderful things. Know that God wants to do beautiful things in your life. Know that God wants to do wonderful things in your life. And it's possible only because of the cross. But we have to, even though, not just the actual guilt, but the feelings of guilt needs to be surrendered to him. Because sometimes the feelings cripple us. Sometimes the feelings trip us up. And and I think God's really sympathetic about that. But a part of being a Christian, a part of growing up and being mature, is to be able to learn how to Give it all to the cross. Give it all to Christ. 